Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Finding Common Battlegrounds. This is the podcast dedicated to, well, just as we said, finding common battlegrounds and finding commonality between the left and the right. So uh, I am a conservative. Ryan is a liberal. We talk about different points and discuss and try to find some commonality between some of the polarizing topics of the of the day. So uh so we got a number of questions. We got like four things we're going to go over tonight, um, three or four, and then uh, and discuss. So some things that are just kind of in, in the news. Um, uh, and then um, and, and I'll let Ryan introduce us in a second. But uh, our sponsor, Lux Bidets, Ryan and I are big fans of bidets, civilized. Whoa, whoa. This is a civilized podcast, so we like to have civilized uh, toilets with bidets because uh, that's the only way to really clean yourself after uh, going to the bathroom. Yeah, so uncivilized if you're not using a bidet. Like, barbarians, come on, people. Get with it. It's the 21st century. There's right. only one way to do this. Okay, um, so our first topic. This one popped up. Uh, I've mentioned it before, right? Uh, I get a lot of my news from BBC, and then I read my local news, and then you know just random news from there. Uh, but this one popped up in my BBC news, and it had to do with blasphemy. Um, which was fascinating, right? So again, I, I study religion. Uh, I'm always interested in these topics, but let me give a little bit of background and then we'll jump into what's going on. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with blasphemy laws, these are laws that make it a crime, a literal crime to criticize, defame, or otherwise insult religions. They're still pretty widespread in predominantly Muslim countries and a few other countries. And they actually used to be widespread in Western countries around the world, including the US, though we haven't had anyone convicted of blasphemy since 1928 when Charles <laughs> Lee Smith, an atheist activist, was convicted for criticizing religion. So it's been almost 100 years since somebody was convicted of blasphemy in the US. Now it's basically illegal, like you can't even do it. Uh, this issue came up in Wakefield in England. This is near Leeds, which is in North Central England, for those who know, um, when four high school students were suspended for from school for desecrating, and I'm going to put that in scare quotes, right? For desecrating a copy of the Quran. Uh, when people looked into this, it turns out one page of the book had a slight smudge on it. That was the extent of the desecration. But the police were called and they were actually looking into this as though it was a crime. And local city like uh, leaders were freaking out and calling this a desecration of the Quran. Um, blasphemy laws were, in fact, ended in the UK in 2008. That was when they finally got rid of their blasphemy laws, but they hadn't been enforced for quite some time before that. Even so, people in the UK are increasingly afraid of doing or saying things that could be considered offensive to Muslims. So that's the little background, right? This is the context in which this came up. Thoughts, Tom? Um, are, should Britain have blasphemy laws? Should people in the UK be freaking out about this? Should we in the US be worried about offending people religiously on these grounds? What's your take? Yeah, I've I read this article and it's like, I, this happens a lot, right? You read an article and it's it's very much written from one side that this is outrageous, right? That the, right. The, this is crazy. This is outrageous. And and it does. It totally seems crazy and outrageous. And so, like, there's a couple things that you're like that they didn't go into detail in and that I wish they had. And that was that because he never said, like, were these boys 
like maliciously doing things or did they accidentally smudge the book and like they didn't go give any context to like how what happened there right and so it's it you know so maybe it was you know if it was harmless obviously this is this is crazy right but if they Mm -hmm. maybe they were doing something maybe but like uh i think anyone in the united states thinks that's a little crazy right because we we're like you said we haven't we got rid of blasphemy laws a long time ago. People bash Christianity every day, all day. Right. And like, mm-hmm. and and I think it's actually, um, I think it's actually a good thing. Right. It's, I mean, and like, you know, first amendment rights and, and I think it's all good. I think it's all good. And I think it actually makes Christianity anti-fragile. Right. And it sort of like strengthens it because uh, it has to deal with these arguments and these, and these uh, uh, attacks. And so, um so yeah it sounds it seems crazy it seems outrageous obviously i don't live in a place with these sort of like um two you know two groups uh you know ethnic groups that are maybe more at odds than you know than than i probably you know know or or can Mm -hmm. understand and so like maybe there's a lot more you know maybe there's some a lot of past racism maybe the muslim community is getting more outspoken and and now you know i don't know right i don't know right. what's what's going on there so um it's hard for me to because yeah from from a, i think a regular americans gonna be like that's nuts that's pretty much yeah. what my take on it <laughs> um agreed so this is nice we're finding common ground uh but i don't know that we can just stop it there right so i i always like to push a little bit and this came up in that article um Granted, I think you're right, right? It was written from a very specific perspective, but I think it's worth just raising for us to just talk about a little bit. Mm. Uh, it was it was the Quran that was supposedly desecrated. If somebody did that in the US, right? Let's say it's in Bountiful, Utah, somebody in the local school, and they tore a page out of the Bible. Right. Do you think that would be a problem? Like, would no. you freak out and want them suspended from school for doing this? It wouldn't make the news, I don't think. And <laughs> it wouldn't, I love that know, response. It wouldn't even make the news. <laughs> it's like, you know, and that this is again, this is the what was the context in which they did it, right? right? Did they stand up in front of the school and tear the page out at an assembly? And that's that's the context we didn't get from this article. Mm-hmm. And like, or was it just someone? Oh, ripped like it, they dropped a book or weird. something, yeah, right? Like, exactly. So it's like hard to say because, um, yeah, because I could see someone getting upset or offended if maybe it was like blatant and in, in someone's face. But like, uh, but still, totally should be fine and definitely not prosecutable. Um, right. So it's it's uh, I, I, yeah, it's it was it's interesting. Um, you know, there's, I think there's always been a hypersensitivity from the Muslim community, right? And there, there's been like people showing pictures of, you know, the attacks in, in France, yeah. right? When they showed, when they, well, they showed pictures of Muhammad, and there was outrage and riots and protests about that. But then also the, that can't remember the that. attack. Um, um, yeah. The, com- right. the comic. The, yeah. Let me look um, up the name of it. Um, yeah. It's got a, a funny name that I always have a hard time remembering. It's like starts with a J or something, but, um, yeah, I'll find it real quick. But they, um, Charlie they would, Hebdo, it was Charlie Hebdo. Charlie Hebdo, yes. yes. And they got attacked because, I mean, you know, they were mocking and, and mm-hmm. making fun of them. And it's like, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, they're making fun of you, but you went and murdered them all, right? And it's, it's, a, little, <laughs> it's a little crazy. It's that, that's that's not over a, the top. Yeah, that's not, not a world okay. I want to live in. And right. So that, you know, that's, 
I think that's interesting. And like I said, I think there's actually good that comes out of taking criticism from, you know, from others mm-hmm. about your religion. Yeah. So a um, couple of things that I want to wrestle with there. So, yeah. Um, okay. I'm just making Do you agree on that. Do you agree on the, the hypersensitivity? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, we'll come back to that a little bit. So let's say um, someone in one of your kids' schools, right, did rip a page out of the Bible. Maybe it was in public, right? Maybe it was even meant to be inflammatory. The right. only way that I could see them potentially getting in trouble is if the Bible was like the school's property. But if somebody brought their own Bible to mm-hmm. school and ripped a page out, I'd be like, okay, you destroyed your own book. Like, why do well, I care? Well, if someone took it out, of some, took it from somebody else, right? And ripped it yeah, out. somebody else's property. Then, exactly. then it's, yeah, it's, you know, destroying but then it, property. But then it's not, right. It's it's that, not blasphemy. Exactly. Right? It's not it's, blasphemy. It's a different Don't criminal care charge. It. Right. It's theft um, or whatever. Yeah. And I used, Bible, uh, obviously, to be generic Christian, would you feel any different? It was the Book of Mormon, no. or specifically Mormon scripture. So, so listen, that doesn't even listen, matter. Listen, if you saw some of the Book of Mormons or Bibles in my house, <laughs> and how they, you would call them desecrated, all right? Like, pages bent and pages ripped out. So, right. yeah, good, it's a good thing we don't have these laws. I'd be in jail. Okay, so I think we're absolutely on the same page here. Now, I guess the the one thing that I wanted to just toy around with a little bit, because I think this is going to be a really quick one, right? Like, I think we're in total agreement on this. And I think it has to do with uh, cultural context. So um, if we if we flip this a little bit, right? Obviously, what we're suggesting is that Muslim individuals um, need to adjust to Western cultural norms where free speech is the privileged kind of uh, right over religious rights. Right. So that's basically the argument that we're making is like, no, 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 no. We get, you can be religious. Like, we don't care. You know, you be religious, don't be religious. No one really cares. But my right to do things free speech wise trumps your right to not be offended, basically. Right. Right. And I think in certain Muslim cultures, they would flip that and say, nope, your free speech rights end at my right to be. To not be offended. Right. And I would think that to me, this kind of is the same kind of argument that we talk about a lot with racism in the United States when, because we, I make the argument that it's a cultural issue versus mm-hmm. a racism issue, right? When we look down or, or uh, criticize things we're, we're it's usually we're criticizing a certain culture, not a race, but like those two get conflated. And, and I think mix, and I think it's the same there. It's like, it's because I think so like France has been more heavy handed in forcing people to conform, right? They banned um, the hijab, I think. Um, yeah. I think that's what it's called uh, the, or it's the other one. The that burqa pulled, for sure. The burqa, the burqa. Yeah. yeah. And they, you know, they banned that in certain areas and, you know, they're like, you have at the cost of sort of some religious rights and sort of certain freedoms. I, I mm-hmm. think maybe they went over a line there, but I've also read a number of articles that there's, yeah, this hypersensitivity to, Muslims, like on the non-Muslim communities, trying to not, um, trying to not like persecute things or trying to not take things, certain things offenses seriously when when Muslims do things because they're worried about one being labeled racist, racist, or two, um, just just Islamophobic, like, yeah, yeah, being called Islamophobic, exactly, yes. So yeah. it's um, that's I, I've read a lot about that, and this seems like a case of that. Yeah, that is a, it's a good point to bring up, right? That there's, there's a situation here where it's almost like 
the radical left and the radical right are looping around. Sometimes I like to, to, to think about it that way, that there are times when you go so far to the left and so far to the right that you actually meet in really weird circumstances. Mm-hmm. And this might be one of those, right? So you have people on the left who are like, hey, you can't make fun of Muslims. They're a minority group, right? So that's going really far to the left. And then you have really conservative Muslims all the way on the far side of the right, and they end up meeting, right? So they're like, you can't offend our religion. That's mm-hmm. blasphemy. Right. Mm-hmm. So you actually see this weird kind of looping around where the moderates are like, this is free speech, like grow a spine. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Whereas the other two are like, that's the offensive extremes. and that's offensive. Right. Yeah. Like, that's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of strange how that works. Um, any way to kind of wrap your head around the idea that maybe it should be the other way around, right. That we should be prioritizing people's right not to be offended versus free speech or you just can't uh, get behind oh man. that that's a though that's i mean oh man <laughs> I, I mean I'm like just pushing just to, there's to play the with whole, it okay you know there's there's jordan peterson's famous line which is in order to think i have to risk offending others and mm-hmm. uh and i think it's an awesome line right where he was on he was they were pushing him on that basically that question that very question of like where, where does that line end? And he's like, well, I have to be able to offend you in order to think and be able to think right. come up with ideas and present ideas. And I think it's, uh, I think that's a true idea. I think that's truth. And, yeah. you know, I, th- there, I think there's a reason the founding fathers did the first amendment. I think it's actually served the country really well. And I think it, cause I mean, I think those blasphemy laws, those, uh, Christian blasphemy laws were probably wrong, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. uh, those were, and it's good we got rid of them because those were infringing on the First Amendment. Absolutely. And, uh, so, yeah, I yeah, yeah, I, first, I would totally First agree. Amendment rules all. Yeah, uh, I'm. I, we're definitely in agreement on this. And I mean, me saying it is just me trying to kind of make us yeah, think about this a little bit. Agree. Yeah, yeah, because in my mind, I mean, I can certainly. It's weird, right? Like. I almost agree pretty solidly with conservative arguments about people being snowflakes, right? Like, Hey, grow a spine. I can say whatever I want to say. And if you don't like it, don't listen to me. Right. Right. Like you, you can control for the most part what you hear. So if you've got a problem with hearing certain things, that's actually on you, right? Like I'm allowed to say what I want to say. Um, And I think this, there's no difference here in context, right? Muslims don't have a right to, restrict what I get to say just because they're offended by it. Right. And that would hold for atheists or Mormons or, you know, any group, you pick a group, Democrats, Republicans, I don't care what group it is. Just because you're offended by something somebody says doesn't mean you get to restrict their ability to say it. Yeah. That'd be my take. Totally agree. Okay. Common ground found. <laughs> ding, ding. Yeah, I think that was an easy one. I, I was pretty sure we were going to totally agree on this. So let's move on to another one. And we've got kind of two right in a row that are a bit related to, to money, finances, all sorts of things. So I sent you this one because, uh, I, one, I heard a podcast on it, but two, I, I really wasn't aware that this was happening. Uh, and it kind of surprised me. So this one is on... Um, ESG investments and investment policy. And I'm going to define that again. I've got some background here just to kind of make it clear for our listeners, and then we can wrestle with what's going on. So ESG stands for environmental, social, and corporate governance. Uh, It's become an initialism for taking into consideration 
companies' policies on the environment, on diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI issues, and on corporate governance issues when making investing decisions on Wall Street. So it's really kind of a finance uh, initialism. This is the part that I didn't actually really realize. I'm obviously not paying close enough to what close enough attention to what's going on politically. During the Trump administration, the Labor Department issued a rule, right? So this is a rule, not legislation, that said that ESG factors were to be discouraged when making investment decisions, even when those factors were in the financial interest of the funds. Didn't know that, right? The Biden administration basically overturned that. They issued a rule stating that money managers, so this is Wall Street money managers, can, and I emphasize can, because that's the way it's written, Mm -hmm. can weigh climate change, not that they must, that they can, and other ESG factors when they make decisions for retirement uh, investors. Republicans in the House just passed legislation in the last month saying that money managers cannot weigh ESG factors. And it was passed by a simple majority in the Senate with two Democrats in in Republican-leaning states siding with Republicans. So uh, Biden is going to veto this, right? He's basically said this is going to be vetoed. Uh, I think it's fascinating. And I guess the question is, should the government be telling money managers what factors they can consider when investing retirees' funds? Your take on this. All right. Okay. This is this is interesting. I think I'm kind of all over the place in a, in a sense. I think ultimately, um, they should be. I think money managers should be allowed to do whatever they want. I think ultimately, and um, and that's sort of the libertarian in me. And but like to tear down this argument. First off, like you said, so under the Trump administration, it was discouraged. They could still do it. And then during the Biden administration, it was allowed. They could still do it. They could still not do it, right? right. It, they, yes. It, it was no one's forcing anyone. And now it's like, I don't want you to look, don't take it into, the, you know, the Republicans want to have money managers not take it into consideration. And it's like, here's the, here's the issue that like, I don't even think it matters. This is, it's all a political statement, right? Yes, it's, it is. It's all um, because if you look into the whole ESG thing, it's mm-hmm. really weird. And and really, it's become like a big ESG has become like a big thing for the left. And like, it, you know, these are causes that are left, you know, kind of approved, but it's gotten really convoluted. And there was a whole stir. If anyone remembers, this, there's a whole big um, controversy where Tesla was was removed from the ESG list of investments and as and an electric he, car company. <laughs> yes. As electric right. car company. And he's like, and Exxon is on the list. And right. it was like, and he's like, this makes no sense. Right. And it's just like, and it almost has become like things that the left investments, the left approves of versus things that are actually good for the environment or, or, you know, it's it's gotten a lot. I think it's got a lot more opinion in it than it actually has like, this, this these are um you know like solid you know i, I, don't, I don't what am i trying to say the there's actually ways that you could evidence that shows that this is an es or g kind of um uh, uh, uh investment and i so it's it's kind of like the whole thing has gotten weird and i think it's gotten mm-hmm. very political and very and so i think it's all it's a weird label that i think doesn't always mean what it, people think it means and therefore, it doesn't even mean so. Therefore, I don't even care, right? Who cares? Like, you want to put it, what if it's a crappy investment, you know? But, you know, I guess if people really want to invest in it, sure, I guess go ahead, right? Yeah. 
Um, on that point, so I, I was reading several articles about this today in, in preparation for this. Um, when ESG really took off, which has been about five, six years, I mean, I think it was started before that, but five or six years is when it really started to take off. And they've been, they've obviously been tracking, right? So they're like these ESG funds that primarily focus on this versus non-ESG funds. And for about the first five years, ESG funds were actually doing better than the non-ESG funds mm. until um, the Russian invasion, right? And then, because if you remember during the pandemic, uh, the price of oil actually went to like future prices went negative at one point, like people were paying mm -hmm. you to buy their oil. Right. So the price of oil plummeted, right? And of course, ESG funds are going through the roof at this point, like everybody's loving this. But then when Russia invades and the price of oil skyrockets, that was the first time that ESG funds actually underperformed non-ESG funds. So right. if you're thinking about it just in terms of like returns, um, it's probably sixes right now, right? But certainly ESG funds are lower than non-ESG ESG funds because of the price of oil. Fine. So weird on that front, right? Um, but I, I think your, your take on it is pretty similar to mine. Um, Reading a, a bunch of the news articles today um, in preparation for this, a lot of the Republicans who voted for this, who, who kind of put forward the legislation, they kept dropping the word woke, right? Yes. yes. As soon as you drop the word woke, I know that this is just this BS is just, politics. Right, right. Right. This is us just yeah. force, trying to force a vote to show that mm -hmm. we're doing this for our constituents. Means yeah. nothing. Yeah. So they kept saying like, oh, ESG funds are all woke and we're trying to prevent woke policies. And I'm like, okay, so you have really no rationale for doing this other than well, scoring political points. Yeah. And they might be and like, they're probably right. But who cares? Like, who cares? If yeah. I want to put my investments into woke in, you know, I want to make my investments woke. Whoop de doo yeah. Right. What, what, what business is it of yours? And yeah. if it's making half the returns of the of the regular market, right? It's like then that that you know, <laughs> but you feel good because you're helping the earth or some or some geopolitical you know cause, whatever. Right. You can spend your money on what you want. Right. So it's like investments are just just to give it to the BLM. It doesn't whatever. Right. <laughs> it doesn't. I like. I don't care. You know, if that's who cares. Okay. So. so so to push on that a little bit, because I think we agree, right? Like in right. this instance, I'm like, this is absurd, right? Let money managers manage the money, right? Like that's what they're going to do. And investors can decide if they agree with the policies or not. I'm fully on board. I think we totally agree. But um, in this case, it seems like it's Republicans who are trying to restrict the ability for people to do this. So would this right. be you as a conservative criticizing Republicans because they're trying to restrict people to do this. Yes. I, yeah. And that's what I said at the beginning. I said, I would like money managers to be able to do whatever they want. And and so I don't agree with restricting it. It's, it's such, it's just a statement. It's so stupid. I think the whole thing's dumb. So okay. it's, it, yeah. it, it, it's, it, it goes against free market principles. You know, it's like, I could make a, I could make a label that's like, you know, you know, uh, cow orgasms or something like that <laughs> every time you invest in this fund a cow has an orgasm if you like cows you should invest you should in do this, this fund right and it's like okay I, i'd buy a share of that want. fund that's awesome right? yeah. it's just like who cares yeah um okay so two other real quick points on this because again i'm just you know i'm trying to Push this a little further i think i agree with you that the esg uh label has got really vague 
especially when you give the example of like Tesla is not ESG, but Shell is. And you're like, okay, that's absurd. Uh, But the one thing that I thought was kind of interesting is there are a couple of states, um, Texas in particular, and then West Virginia that have both come up in related stories to this, right? Mm -hmm. In part because they're fossil fuel producing states, right? So West Virginia's coal and Texas, of course, is oil. And both of them at the state level have done very similar things where they've kind of tried to restrict this whole idea of ESG, in part because they're worried that banks that are kind of pushing these policies, and Texas actually did this, right? They passed legislation to this extent. But banks that are pushing pushing these ESG policies are starting to say things like, we won't give loans to fossil fuel producing companies. Mm. And these states are saying, that's going to kill our economy if you don't do this, right? Like our bank, our, our companies need loans, they need, you know, revenue, they need, they need to be able to manage their money in reasonable ways. And some big banks are basically saying, you know what, we're not going to support this anymore. So Texas did, in fact, pass legislation, I think it was about a year ago, uh, might have been a little longer than that, saying um, any bank that basically has these policies is not allowed to do business in the state of Texas. Like, we're, we're just not even going to allow you to function here. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about that, right? So it's a little bit of a twist on this, but yeah, thoughts? <laughs> well, <laughs> it. It gets weird, right? Because it's it's basically saying that bank is going to discriminate against the company, right? Mm-hmm. Based on the ethics of what they're doing, right? Right. And which, again, I don't think is a good idea. Now, is it a problem? I don't think it's a problem, right? Because every ESG bank, you're going to have a bank that's on the other side, right? Someone, right. someone wants place good oh this oil company has tons of potential nobody will give them money right like, <laughs> or somebody will give them money some, yeah someone will give money if it's a good idea right, right. and uh it's it, it so i i don't think it's a really a problem again it's more political statements and, and mm-hmm. i don't but it is like but it is sort of a weird idea right it's like you're now discriminating because like this i mean that's that is an interesting idea because like if the label the label's wishy-washy right it's kind of vague and so it's all of a sudden you could start putting people in and not giving them loans because they're non-esg and you could use it to discriminate and i think that's interesting right that you could now punish a company or something like that because they're not you know, woke or whatever. Right. So I do think, you know, there maybe there could be dangers there in doing that. I just don't, yeah, it just doesn't make, um, you know, if it was being used as a cudgel to punish companies uh, for, but like I, I, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't, I don't like the premise of it, but I don't think it's really a big deal. And so, um, yeah, again, but I think the, 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 the state's, passing this legislation is more just like it's just um more just political hyperbole yeah yeah no or what's the word uh not hyperbole um platitudes just platitudes oh, of like yeah pandering to their base totally mm-hmm. yeah okay anything else you want to cover on that we're no. just agreeing on stuff dom i know <laughs> there's no fighting going on though maybe we'll get to one where we actually well, i don't think yeah. i think we're going to agree on the next one too which is going to be interesting so i don't know it was interesting so we're done on that one yeah all good okay yeah. 
So this next one you wanted to talk about, and if you want to give background, you can. I did write something up just to give a little bit of background, but maybe I'll give mine and then you can give some additional background yeah, if you yeah, want. Yeah, give yours okay. and if we don't right. get into more. So it's been all over in the news, right? The collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. So we're going to talk about bank bailouts, but let me give a little background in case somebody's not familiar with this. Silicon Valley Bank uh, was a bank that was, just a few decades ago was tiny. And still, when all of this went down just in the last two weeks, it only had 16 branches. I was shocked when I realized that, right? Um, it was well known as being the bank for many tech startups and it invested. So it, it obviously is banking their money, right? And it was actually doing some um, venture capitalism as well. So it was doing a little bit of that. Uh, but it had taken a lot of the deposits and invested those in government bonds several years ago at really low interest rates. Right. Then, of course, when interest rates go up, their bonds that they had had lost their value. But so there's like this really weird kind of combination of events that leads to this. At the same time that their bonds are losing value because of the rising interest rates, a lot of tech startups are burning through cash because of a tech downturn. So Silicon Valley Bank ends up needing money to like pay out to depositors, right? So they make a decision, probably a bad decision, but they make a decision to sell all of their $21 billion in government bonds at a $2 billion loss, right? Yeah. Um, bad decision, but like maybe a necessary decision. Here's the problem. It's Silicon Valley Bank in the middle of Silicon Valley Everybody finds out about this. And then very quickly, uh, word gets out that they're making this bad decision and people start to worry that like they don't have enough money to pay depositors. So there's a run on the bank, right? A very classic right. run on the bank. Everybody wants their deposits. And I think I recall seeing that like it was maybe Thursday of last week or something. It was, it was on one day they gave that like they had to pay out $42 billion dollars to people because they were just taking their money, um, yeah. which is fascinating. The run, of course, got so bad that the government had to step in and Silicon Valley Bank is no more, right? So this is mm -hmm. literally the collapse of a bank. The last piece that I'll mention, and then you can add to it if you want, um, contrary to Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC policy, the government actually agreed to guarantee everyone's deposits, including those over $250,000, which is the standard policy for FDIC. If you're not familiar with this, right? Like you should know that at your bank, if it's FDIC insured, it's only insured up to $250,000. So if you've got more than $250,000 in your account and the bank collapses, you're not guaranteed to get all of your money back. But in this case, the federal government did in fact say that they were going to give back everybody's money. And the vast majority of depositors at that bank had more than $250,000 in their accounts. Yeah. So that that was my summary of it. Is there something I'm missing, something you wanted to add, or should we just talk about it? Uh, no, yeah, I, that's good enough. And okay. uh, there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had so many thoughts on this. <laughs> I could go on forever. I It's, it's so interesting. So it, at a super high level, to me, the, so, okay. There, there, I think this is the beginning of the end of the dollar as the reserve is the uh -oh. reserve currency. Um, and I think it's been coming for a while, but I think these are some of the initial steps where, you know, so, so first off one, like all this said is do whatever the H you want banks. And mm -hmm. we will we'll totally bail. And we, we won't bail you out. We'll just give you a loan that you don't have to return that you don't have to pay back. Right. And you're like, whatever that means. And they're basically saying a bailout would be 
that we uh, printed money and got it from the people, right? But this, mm-hmm. it, they're calling this not a bailout because it's the FDIC that is going to pay the money. The FDIC doesn't have this much money. So they're going to raise, uh, basically they're just going to, or it's going to almost clean them out or something like that. Yeah. They, they're, they're not made to, to, mm-hmm. to, to, um, to do, to pay back this much. So they're going to have to raise rates on the banks which, you know, where are the banks are going to get that money? They're going to get it from us, right? You know, yes, so it all comes out of our pocket one way or another. But, um, but yeah, all it does is say, yeah, it's just encouraging risky and, you know, unethical behavior and, uh, um, or bad behavior. And so like, which is already kind of what they've been doing, got them, got them in trouble. And now they're saying, oh, well, go ahead and do it more. The second thing is I heard someone say that this was actually yesterday or today. I can't remember, which I thought was really interesting. It's this. So a lot of people have been fearing um, that the, the uh, CBDC, the, am I saying that right? Um, Central bank digital currency. Um, Yeah. CBDC. And so the bank has been talking about this for a while. They've introduced it in a few other countries have introduced it. They're doing a pilot in the United States and the fed really wants to do this. Cause it'll give them like ultimate control of our money. And it's like, but it's like people describe this as like the ultimate level of tyranny and in that. And, and what it does is it just bypasses the banks and it's basically saying we have, you know, okay, we're going to give a bailout this time to the people, right? We're going to give a stimulus check, but you can only spend it in these categories. You can only spend this much per day. You can only spend, you know, uh, it, you know, th- this amount here, you can, you know, this can only be you buy on TVs or whatever, right? They can control everything and they can stop the, the payments, right? If you're trying to spend on something they don't approve of. So it's, it's crazy. And so the people are saying, and, and this is this is one step, right? It's just like, oh well, you know, banks failing left and right. They're like, okay, we'll solve the problem here. We got the solution. It's called a CBDC, right? And uh, we're gonna go this way. So a lot, of, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting idea. Um, and so that that's um, that's that'll be interesting to see if that's what um, it, how, how this plays out. But I, I very much could see that happening. But the last thing is. I just think it's just it's the Fed keeps saving people over and over again. And we're we're building. There's just no accountability at the end of the day. We keep bailing out. Right. We keep rescuing ourselves and kicking a big can down the road. And the can keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we're going to eventually crash our our like uh, the, we're going to have a massive crash is, is what it's I think ultimately going to if it's not today it's just going to get worse tomorrow. Right. Cause we keep like, you know, the feds in a bad place right now because of inflation, which was caused mm-hmm. by the pandemic, which is because right. they, they printed tons of money. So it caused lots of inflation. Now they're trying to raise rates, which is breaking things. And so they're saying, Oh, well, they might not raise they, Basically everyone's waiting on the pivot, right. Where the, where the fed stops raising rates and stops creating so much pain. Well, you know, if that happens, then inflation might get out of control. Right. So it's like right. the Fed's in, a, in a nasty spot. And they were saying, I've, I've read this, like, if you go back in history, the Fed always, or the, the country will always go with inflation, inflating their currency versus like, um, austerity, right. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, short-term pain. They'll always do that. And I think that's, what's ultimately going to happen. Right. Cause hmm. I think we can't survive six years 
you know, they're saying, oh, we want to do like two, three, we want to bring it up to like 6% and we're going to leave it there for like two or three years. And it's clear the system's really fragile and like won't probably can't handle that. But that's my interesting. Um, Okay. So I I think there's actually, like you said, you wanted to talk about this at length. Um, There may be a whole lot that we could wrestle with here. And to, to be fair, like we may both be like completely out of our depth. Like neither of us are economists, neither is neither of us are experts in finance or, or bank law or, you know, anything to do with banks, but we both dabble in this, right? We're, we're interested and we're wrestling with us. And certainly listeners, if we're getting everything wrong, like feel free to comment anywhere. We'll come back to your comments because we, we are interested in this. A um, couple of just points of clarification, and then maybe we'll wrestle with a couple of these ideas. So you did mention that the way the federal government is phrasing this is that this is not a taxpayer bailout because the FDIC is actually going to cover all of this. And of course, to do that, they have to raise rates on banks. So banks pay insurance rates to the FDIC to cover all the FDIC funds. So effectively, there's not a taxpayer bailout, which is technically true. And Um, the FDIC will cover 250,000, I believe. Yes, 250,000. And then, but then it's like, yeah, not, and I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think most people, depositors in that bank were above that, I think is what you said. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, right. So they're just going to cover all that and be like, all right, everyone's fine. Right. So, so, the Biden administration has been very clear that like, this is not a taxpayer bailout. It's the FDIC mm-hmm. that's doing this. Now, right. I think your point was well taken. If the banks then get assessed a special assessment to rebuild the FDIC funds, who do you think is really going to pay that? Right. right? How's that going to get passed, passed yeah, on? The, the, the banks are not going to be like, we will cut our profits, right? Uh, this to, is to cover ju- this. This is yeah. just like when prices were going up during for, during the inflation and everyone's like, you know, and, and what, what do companies do? They just pass it on to the customer. All they do is just raise their prices, right? This right. is very, very standard. And, and, um, and they're not greedy companies. They are because it's because all their costs just went up a whole bunch. And so it's, it's extremely typical. And it's mm-hmm. like, you guys are being greedy. No, it always gets passed to the customer. It always does. Right. Um, that's just okay. the way it goes. So, so two things that I think I want to wrestle with here. Um, I don't know how much money you have, Tom. I'm not necessarily going to say how much money I have, but but let's say that I have more than $250,000, right? right? Let's say that you have more than $250,000 and that we both had some of that money at least, right? In a bank and the bank goes under, okay? We get our $250,000 back. So we're good there. How would you respond if you were the one who had more than $250,000, we're not going to say how much more. And suddenly it's all gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's not a good thing. Right. Um, we actually had a friend who had a lot of money in the bank in, in that bank. And, uh, they were like, Oh, wow. Oh, geez. Right. And they said, (laughs) they said something. So I'm like, you know, I had it. I, I earned it once I'll earn it again. And, uh, kind of a thing. Really? So they had kind of resolved, like they weren't going to get it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, like this is what I'm getting at is that we keep, um, we, we have a problem with dealing with short-term pain as a country. And so there's this argument that the central banks came in, the central bank was created because banks would fail and it created a lot of pain. Right. So all we did was just, we just kind of keep, 
we shift things up and uh, up to the central banks and the central bank has now created this massive boom and bust cycle, right? What we want is we want micro boom and busts, right? Like seasonal boom and busts of, but now we we're in these huge waves of like five to 10 year um, waves of like easy money and then tightening. And then and mm-hmm. it almost, someone was saying that, you know, there's a saying in the, in the trading market, which is don't fight the fed, which is if the fed is loosening, things are going to be good. If the Fed is tightening, then things are going to be bad. That's just the way it is. And don't fight the Fed because you will lose is what they're saying. And that's bad, right? It's like, what's the Mm. fundamentals of the company? No, who cares about that? It's what the, what's the Fed doing? And if you've seen the amount of angst and how much the market fluctuates, just when Jerome Powell speaks, who he's the chair of the Fed, it will spike 2% in like Mm -hmm. an hour, in an hour. It will. I mean, it's just insane. And like, that's not, that's not good. It's just like, we're we're becoming um we're basically yeah we're just keep rolling up our pain into the next day and just keep kicking it down and i think it's just so bad it's because no one will deal with any like we can't let a bank fail anymore like anything and you can't let anything fail anymore and so we like keep saving it and it's just it's making the problem it's just gonna make the problem worse right yeah okay that's the big philosophy the thing i keep seeing i'm seeing so if it had been your money, you just would have eaten it. Uh, yeah, like, <laughs> like, well, like, if they would have done a bailout, yeah, of course I would have taken a bailout, right? I would have been like, on principle, I'm not taking that money back. Um, <laughs> like, uh, of course, but like, yeah, nobody wants to paint. Like, what I okay, this is what I will say. People are linking. If you saw some of the investments that that bank made was mm-hmm. really dumb. They made a lot of dumb investments. And like um, like you were saying, the, the long-term bonds at a super low interest rate. Right. Um, and like that, and they did it like everything. They were saying, I've heard people saying a summer intern wouldn't have invested like this. So it was like just really dumb stuff. <laughs> and um, massive exposure. And, um, you know, like should a bank that makes really dumb decisions fail and should the people that thought it was a good idea to invest in that big should they fail right it's like yeah they should they should if you make really dumb decisions it's like why do we, uh, bad, why do yeah. we say bad decisions right like why that's that's a that's a bad recipe okay and i'm i'm not disagreeing with you i think in a lot of ways like we're we're totally on the same page the one thing i think i would might push back on there is I don't know where you bank, right? I I, right. I happen to have still accounts at Mountain America Credit Union, which is a Utah-based credit union, right? Which is also FDIC insured. But um, I don't know all of the investing decisions that Mountain America Credit Union makes. So, right, you know, what's the, what's their exposure? Right. So, right. so let's say that it's you know Joe Blow down the street who you know is I don't know just pick any like blue collar job. Right. And they just happen to pick a bank. That's just a close by bank because it's close and convenient or whatever. They're not going to be paying attention to what's on their books, the investment decisions they're making. They're not, they're not going to pay attention to any of that stuff. And let's say that Joe blow is just, you know, a, uh, a belt tightening penny pincher. Who's, you know, got $500,000 in the bank after 50 years of saving. Do they deserve to lose all that money because they weren't paying attention to what the bank's doing? Um, my money is in Goldman Sachs. Um, but, uh, this, this is what, this is what I would say. 
that's what the FDIC insurance is for, right? Mm -hmm. You go with an FDIC insured bank. You are good for 250,000. If you investing more than 250,000 in that bank, you should look at that bank's fundamentals and like, like, that's sort of on you, right? You started putting hmm. a massive amount of money into a bank and you were like, eh, I like their name, right? And you're like, oh, the commercials are so funny. You're like, okay. You're like, that's some, at some point you have to take some ownership when you take a massive amount of money. You're, yeah. You have 50,000 in the bank and um, you're a plumber and right. That's, you've been saving up for a house or something like that. Right. It's like, yeah, that's what the insurance is for, man. You have to get to get the 250,000 worth of, your deposits back and then, mm-hmm. and then, and, and learn. But when, once you start getting above that, it's like, man, at some point you got to take some responsibility. Interesting. And, you know, I've actually, I've, I've thought about this. I'm not trying to, again, I don't want to out you or me on any of our investment decisions or anything, but um, that, you know, once you hit $200,000 in a specific bank, like why not open an account with a different bank? Right. right. Like yeah. it's, it's right. that easy to just be like, Oh, wait. So if that bank fails, I'm still covered for all the money I have in that bank. I can have lots of bank accounts. There is no rule that says you can't have 50 bank accounts. Right. Totally. So totally. spread out your risk. That's a right. perfectly reasonable thing to do. Okay. Yes. So one other issue to point uh, to, to, to kind of wrestle with on this, um, because I do think it's interesting. It's come up. Um, I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but I think it's interesting. 2007, 2008, massive recession, number of banks fail, right? And we introduced some new legislation, the Dodd-Frank legislation that basically introduces a whole bunch of regulations on banks Mm -hmm. to make it more difficult for them to fail, okay? And that legislation initially covered any bank with more than $50 billion in assets, okay? So uh, basically, the Fed would go in and stress test them and evaluate their ability to actually manage a run on the bank and those kinds of things. So the regulations were designed to basically minimize the risk of banks failing. The CEO of Silicon Valley Bank actually pushed really hard against this legislation. And during the Trump administration, they changed the rules to make it so it was only banks with more than $250 billion actually had those regulations. Mm-hmm. And the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank was actually the person who led that uh, lobbying effort to make those changes. And when Silicon Valley Bank actually crashed, right, they had about $240 billion. So they were getting close to that line, but because the laws had changed, they were not subject to these regulations. And there's some speculation that if those regulations had stayed, they probably would not have crashed. Your thoughts on this? Yeah. So again, I'm not a fan of regulation. So here's you. So you have to get into the mindset of and the toxic mindset that we have today, which is this is what I keep talking about. Everyone is looking at for the Fed Fed pivot. They're waiting for the Fed to pivot and relax their quantitative their uh, rates. Why? Mm-hmm. Because that means they'll give more money out and the, and things will get easy again and they'll save and they'll save everybody. That's what it is. They'll save everyone. And that's the issue that we have today is the Fed saves everybody, saves everyone. And that's um, the mindset is go hard, risk everything because you will get saved, right? 
it's like you, we save it, we bail everybody out nowadays. And so it's like, they don't want any systemic, they don't want contagion, they don't want anything. And so we're saving it. So like, of course, the mindset's going to be pushed against the regulations. Of course, it's going to be pushed it to the max. So I don't know if you knew that there's a certain amount of your funds can be invested, right? And then, but only a small amount. And I believe with this bank, it was 90, 10. So 90% can be invested. 10% had to be saved in reserves, but Mm -hmm. the reserves could be put into treasuries. And so they put those into treasuries and they were even allowed to hold those to maturity. Um, But they were, those were some of the bonds that were not, um, basically they were holding them and they weren't on paper. They were a loss. Right. And, but they were like, well, we'll wait, we'll wait. And then they had enough deposits that they're like, okay, we have to sell these. Right. And they, um, and which forced, forced them to sell at a loss. Right. And right. Th- that, that's the argument that there's a lot of banks that are doing this on paper. They have a loss, but they're not, but it's not actualized unless they have to mm. sell. And so they're trying to stop bank runs. That, so I mean, I understand what the Fed's doing. They're trying to say, "Oh no, no, we'll, we'll take care of everything." Nobody, do not do a bank run. Everybody, like, don't go to everyone's bank and pull your money out because that will will cause things to collapse. Because they're they're worried a lot of banks actually have these losses on actually are at a loss, but they um uh and they don't want them to actualize them by cashing them in. And so it's uh it, it is that is a problem. Is like everyone's pushing everything to the max because the Fed will save them. And they just did. And that's the problem. They just did. And it was like, oh, they're going to, fa- oh, no, they're not. Okay, never mind. You know what I mean? And it's like, all right, keep business as usual. Go nuts, right? And they're waiting for enough. Oh, this is really painful. Maybe the Fed's going to, this. maybe the Fed's going to pivot. Maybe something else is going to collapse. And then the Fed will pivot. Everyone's waiting for the Fed to pivot. And it's just like, they'll, he'll save us in the end. He'll print a bunch of money and he'll mm-hmm. save us. Uh, so, and- so what you're saying is you want some pain you want well, something to to crash to burn to like th- like a major problem and the fed doesn't bail people out and then people will learn well it's like a he, tough love policy it is a tough love policy but the problem is it is so we've made it so bad that it will bring the system down that is the problem and so we're, it's like we're an addict right and we're addicted to this and we keep getting bigger and bigger hits and uh and because we don't want the crash every time well we come- okay so hypothetically would if silicon valley bank had gone under right mm-hmm. and the fed was like we'll cover two hundred fifty thousand dollars. yeah sorry suckers do you think that would have crashed the whole system uh and, and to be fair right like silicon valley bank still had a whole bunch of assets it's not like right. no one's going to get their money back Right. Uh, the Fed will cover the $250,000. The FDIC will cover the $250,000. But they still had a whole bunch of assets. Yeah, so people was, would probably have gotten like two... 90 cents on the dollar or something, right? Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. And so they would they have would... had some pain, but now they have no pain, right? But the pain <laughs> would have been 10%, not 100% pain. It would have been 10% pain, right? Like, own that. Right. I agreed. So you would have been fine with that? Uh, Yeah. So... I do agree. So it's this whole, I do agree. This is kind of a weird thing. I, what I think is we're in a very toxic environment. We've created it. And I don't know if there's any getting out of it other than it has to crash eventually someday. That's just going to, that's, it's inevitable at this point. So like, 
utopian world is yes we never have a central bank we have small banks and those banks we allow those banks to fail if they make bad decisions they fail right and then we have little teeny micro crashes every two to three years right as opposed to that are that are regional right as opposed to a massive national and now global um disaster a financial disaster that we've sort of we're sort of wrapping up and uh so like so like, yeah, so I just feel like we're in this situation. So like, it's, it's this whole thing of like, if everyone thinks they're in a recession, then we, we will be in the recession because everyone right. stops spending. Right. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's the fed has to say everything's great and they, everything has to look great. And if something fails, they, they need to really sure it, shore it up because if it looks like there's this domino effect of banks or something, like if everyone does a bank run on banks, then more banks will collapse. Right. It right. definitely will happen. And so they're just, they're trying. So Unfortunately, we're in a very unhealthy situation where they do have to do this in order to um, make sure that there's not more contagion happening. But like, yeah, I would be fine. But I told, but I know, I know what they're trying to do, and it actually makes sense. But it's very, very, very unfortunate that we've gotten into a nest like a horrible. We're we're in addicts. We're addicts. We're addicted to. uh, uh, quantitative easing, as they call it, right? Where they loosen loose monetary policy. Hmm. Okay, I think we I think we hit this pretty hard. Um, yes. Should we tackle this last one and then? What do you think? Go one more. What do you think? I want to know what you think. Oh, I I okay, that's fair. Um, I I want to see the pain. To be honest, I I want to see the pain. Right. I, I, see, I yeah, that's interesting that you're saying. Yeah. That. Um. I, yeah, it's probably coming from the wrong place, right? So <laughs> it, it would be nice if I was thinking like big macro picture that I'm like, okay, as Tom's framing this, right? Like the way the system is structured is if we keep bailing people out, and, and I agree with that, right? If we keep bailing people out, then it just leaves people to the position of like, oh, I'll get bailed out. I can take as much risk as I want. Doesn't really matter. I can be, it can be poorly managed. I can do all this stupid stuff and mm-hmm. I'll get bailed out, right? Mm-hmm. So I agree on that point. But the other like area, which is probably like, this is probably why we would disagree on this point. It was a bunch of rich fat cats who had their money here, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Let them suffer. You're like, you eat know, the if, rich. Yeah. If anybody can afford to take the hit, it's a bunch of Silicon Valley startups, right? And a bunch of rich kids in Silicon Valley, they can afford to take the hit, right? Mm. If it was a bunch of, um, you know, poor working class individuals who are going to lose their shirts, I think I'd feel very different about it. But for both the, yeah. the reason that you said and the fact that they're a bunch of well to do people. I have no problem letting that bank crash and burn and let them walk away with 80 cents on the dollar. Right. Like there's, there's I did read that there was like, it was Sweden or Switzerland's. um, uh, Oh, there's a bank in Switzerland, HSBC. I think that's also dealing with issues right now. Uh, Credit Suisse. Credit Um, Suisse. Maybe it's Credit Suisse. Yeah. It's Credit Suisse. And and they've been in the news forever because they're just, they're going nuts. But like, um, but no, I, they had a uh, retirement fund that was like their big, like a big old um, pension fund that they mm-hmm. that was invested in that bank. So like people were going to get hurt. There was collateral damage, right? Rich and poor were going to get hurt. Yeah. It's what I'm saying. Like there was, there are some pensioners mm-hmm. that were going to lose out on something if, if it all went down, but like, you know, but they would, you know, there would, they would get something out of it. Right. It wouldn't be a total loss. They'd get 90 
like you mm-hmm. know, about 90, 80 cents on the dollar. But yeah, it's, it, uh, uh, so yeah, it's not all rich fat cats, but yes, there probably were a lot. Well, we know the majority of the people in that, at that bank, right. Had more mm-hmm. than $250,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it does. It feels like, um, it also feels like the fed is also bailing out this, this like institutional cash, right. And this big money that just for the sake of doing it, it's like how much of this is for the American good and how much of it is to help like elite insiders and high ups. Right. Well, I felt, I felt like that in 2008. Right. We we can't, we can't let these people fail. And so we got to make sure. They donate lots of money to our campaigns. Yeah, exactly. Um, This one, I did hear that it's Silicon Valley, right? Right. Immediately. These people went to social media and they were uh, tweeting at and like contacting all sorts of, you know, government uh, representatives. Yeah. These they're well-connected, you know, people who very quickly said, Hey, really, you're going to, you're going to make me take the pain. Right. Right. And I really, you know, you heard that. Yeah. I I did hear that in some of the, one of the podcasts I was listening, I think it was the wall street journal podcast where they're like, these people were well-connected and that's part of the reason why, the Fed very quickly stepped in and said, no, 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 we'll take care of this. And I, I kind of wonder, you know, if I was a politician and, you know, at the federal level or something, and yeah. this happened and people started and, contacting and me, phone call. Yeah. yeah, I'd be like, you're rich, deal with it. Right. Like, <laughs> would I be willing to take that stand when they would right. be like, oh, really? You're not getting in my donation and I'm going to, you know, send all my Twitter followers against you. Right. And I'm like, okay, do if it. If there's right? anything I've ever learned is that lobbying is ridiculously effective. Right. Like, hey, yeah. George, remember when I donated to your campaign? Like, there is, inc- like, um, the, the company I worked with uh, was, they had a, the biggest thing they had, the, the, the thing they were the best at was sales. And that's what helped them dominate the market because they were really good at getting in front of merchants' faces and selling their goods. And I was like, and I just, I realized I'm like, that's that's a big deal, right? Just that face-to-face of like, hey, I'm going to give you some money and <laughs> I hope you do things there that will I want you to There will be an exchange here, yeah. Right, yeah. it totally, it is 100% a thing, right? And that's, mm-hmm. I, think, I think that happens all over the place in, in yeah. Washington, especially that's what, I mean, that's where the most oh, yeah. are is the, I mean, oh, they're, of course. they're drowning that's in lobbyists. That's how it works. And it's effective because it, because it works. It works. That personal connection. And so, yeah, absolutely. I'm yeah. sure that was part of it. I'm sure it was part of it in 2008 and I'm sure it's, it's happening right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, one more topic. Okay. We're both, we're both like the, those, we're <laughs> Get them down with them. Sorry, I kind of agree with it. Um, so Nathan, our previous uh, you know member of the podcast, did actually suggest a topic for us. I'm going to expand it a little bit because some stuff has happened literally in the last two weeks. the The Florida legislature is in session. They have like a it's like a two month session. That's it, right? Um, every year. But uh, basically, he wanted us to talk about the Florida legislature and their meddling in higher education. So I'm going to give some background. Uh, hopefully, this will make sense. It's a little bit longer than my previous kind of summaries, just because it, it is very unique to Florida. I'll try Florida. to keep it simple. It's Florida. Oh, we we got to throw. Yeah, apparently every episode <laughs> is just a little. I know. A shout uh, out. When when Ron DeSantis is no longer governor and potentially the front <laughs> right. runner, right, then maybe we'll right. stop doing this. But anyway, 
So the Florida legislature, under the direction of the governor, so this is a Ron DeSantis story, has recently, this was in uh, November, December, but it's continued, right? Has recently requested information from all public institutions of higher education, there are like 17 of them in the state, something like that, on expenditures on diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, right? So this is like racial, sexual, gender minorities, stuff like that. And then, so it got all the information on how they were spending their money. And then they told all those institutions, you can't spend any money on this anymore. So they just killed all the DEI initiatives at the at the higher institution level, right? Uh, they then did the same thing with care for transgender individuals. Not that these universities are spending lots of money on care for transgender individuals, but whatever money they were spending, they're like, nope, got to kill that too, right? Mm-hmm. Now, literally right now, they are discussing legislation that would allow the government, so the state government, to shut down any major, okay, so this is a college major or minor, Okay, so if you're offering a major at your institution um, that includes discussion of any critical theory, okay, including critical race theory, critical race studies, critical ethnic studies, radical feminist theory, radical gender theory, queer theory, critical social justice or intersectionality, you can have your major or minor shut down Hmm. by the state government. Okay, now just to be clear, which majors that would effect, right? Just just because I think this is important. That would include all of the arts and humanities, visual and performing arts, English, writing, philosophy, history, communication, journalism, music, etc. All of them deal with intersectionality and critical theory these days. Every mm-hmm. one of them. Okay. That would also include all of the social sciences. I'm a social scientist at the college level. Psychology, criminology, sociology, political science, economics, etc all of them could potentially be shut down. I have taught as parts of my classes, intersectionality and queer theory, because those are just prominent things that we discuss in my discipline today. It potentially could include disciplines in business, marketing, management, advertising, and and public relations all deal with these topics as well. And it could even include some disciplines in the natural sciences, public health, absolutely allied health, exercise science, sport management, and potentially even biology and ecology would be affected by this because they all address these topics at some level. So basically, the state government could shut down all of those majors, right? Um, And that language that I just gave you is straight from the bill, which is HB 999, that is currently under consideration by the Florida legislature. Thoughts? Okay. Have have you... Her like has any of this come down from the university level, from your university? Like, have you have you heard any of this or no? I'm immune because I'm at a private university, right? Okay, um, right. so I'm at a private university. None of this affects me. None I can do pretty much you. whatever I want. But my wife is at a public university, right? Mm-hmm. She's at the University of South Florida. It's a public university. I certainly don't want to get her in trouble in case somebody's listening to this. But I will note that um, she currently has two multi-million dollar grants okay and i would be astonished right if the florida legislature and the governor said they don't want our faculty to get these multi-million dollar grants from the federal government because that's where she's getting it she's got an nih grant right so her university um when some of this stuff started coming down actually kind of wrote to her an email and said okay are any of your grants um 
tied to DEI initiatives? Are they tied to this? Are are they tied to any of these things that the Florida legislature is actually problematic? Yeah. Yes. Right. So they kind of went to her and then they also, my wife also happens to run an accredited program and the accrediting body body is a national body, right? So it's not like it's based in one particular state. It's a, it's a national body. Yeah. Her accrediting body requires them to have DEI initiatives. Hmm. Okay. So if she, if she stops the DEI initiatives, she loses accreditation. Put the oh accreditation or the puts the grant in jeopardy. Well, not the grant. So the grants potentially one of the grants is actually based to racial inequality, right? So like mm-hmm. it's kind of tied to DEI stuff. So she had to say yes on one of the grants, but her a program, right? Which is the only program in the state. She runs the only program in the state for this one particular program. It is nationally accredited. If they stopped doing what they're doing DEI wise, she could lose her accreditation and the program would be shut down. Well, mm-hmm. okay. So that, that did come down at that level. So right. I don't mean, like, I, I don't mean to shift this. You asked if it's happening at my university, my university is com- completely immune, right. but it is happening at her university. Right. So yeah. So keep going. Interesting. Okay. Oh, well, I want that sort of legitimizes and validates like that. This is there's people are worried about that this could affect oh, yeah. things. Oh, um, yeah. uh, how do I put this? Like DeSantis, DeSantis is, uh, I, uh, <laughs> gonna be interesting. <laughs> I would say this, like DeSantis, I like him, but he scares me a little bit in okay. that he's like a, he's like a buttoned up Donald Trump. Like he's, right. he's got his crap together. And he's a lot cleaner, I mm-hmm. think, than than the Trump who's just kind of a wrecking ball. Yes, and um, and so like, uh, so I, there was a couple other things. I'm trying to remember what it is. He passed. It's just very targeted, right? Tr- just trying to. Um, he's basically he's very aggressive. Much going on after groups, right? That he doesn't mm-hmm. agree with. Oh, and I'm everything I, he did with Disney, of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Disney, great example. Right. And he's like, I will punish you and I will, you know, get you. And so like, Mm -hmm. um, very aggressive. And so like that, so, you know, like it's a little scary, right? Here's the thing. That's unfortunately in our political environment, that's the kind of stuff that'll win. Right. That's enough. That'll get the base roused up that they will be, they'll rally behind him. It's uh, we're it's such a toxic environment right now, right? He he's doing everything right, but it, this is the kind of stuff that you know. It, I don't. I hate. I hate like oh, he's like Hitler, right? But that's the kind of it's almost like fascist ish, right? Uh, in, in in the the zealousness of it all, right? I. Yeah. I know what he's trying to do. I actually agree with it. I wish there was a way that we could get, I don't like the amount of CRT policy that's being mentioned in schools. I hear about it all the time. Like all the time I see videos of it. I see, I I like, and I agree, like the governor Cox passed the um, not allowing basically uh, minors to get any kind of, you know, transgender or transition modification, right? Not allow, allowing them to do that or take medications. I agree with all that, right? I'm like, you're a minor, protect the minors, right? Let them figure it out and, and, and get, um, 
there's, there's a thing that gets said a lot on the right, which is um, politics, uh, a culture is politics is downstream of culture. And they're saying that politics will start supporting more and more transgender and, and um, trans transitioning more and be more, more supportive of it. And that it'll like trickle down into schools and things like that. Like more of this will be loud. And I, I agree. I don't like it, but I don't like, um, but at the same time, I don't want to become some, you know, Nazi state that's like, oh, you can't say this. You can't say that. Right. So it's like, I don't know. I don't even know what the best. I don't even know. I can't. I don't even know what the best answer is. That's not it's not good. Well, but but I think you maybe we'll have some disagreement here. I think you do know, Tom, because you just said it right. Um, I'm not on Facebook much these days. I'm not on Twitter really at all these days. Right. I've kind of given up on social media. But uh, a friend of mine happened to post about this on Facebook. And I do get notifications from his post because he's a really Mm. good friend. So he posts about this. And somebody very quickly pointed out and said, you know, I've seen something like this recently. Where was it? And then they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. It was in Hungary. Hungary currently has effectively a dictator for president, right? Hmm. And they just legislated what you can and can't teach. Right. Right. That's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And a response to that, which I actually thought was pretty good. I was like, when you have to legislate what people can think and what people can teach, right. You're losing thought control. Yeah. You're losing. What do you you mean? You're losing the public discourse, right? So in the public debate of ideas, when you have to go in and say, you can't actually teach this, it's because you've lost the public debate, right? So because you've lost it, you're just going to force it, right? Nope, you can't do this which we runs absolutely we, counter we to first amendment stuff. Right. We can't let the marketplace of ideas win out. Right. right? Cuz they've already lost in the marketplace of ideas, so they're going to legislate that you can't do this. So, well, okay. All right. So, I will I will nudge back on like but this is minors, right? It's minors. No, like this the, is college stuff. Oh, well, right? is any of this I thought so this is all higher education. This is all higher education that they're doing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Here's fine with fine with what that they can restrict it sorry yeah i'm I, I, yeah i'm saying no that i'm fine with i'm fine with pushing back right okay yeah i agree that it, 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 i agree that's overstepping because i agree like that gets back to what i was saying to think you have to risk offending and um and so like, yeah, the, the, i will say this i'll throw this in as like an upside thing if anyone goes to a public university and is surprised that there's some liberal biases, right. Or they're a liberal swing or they're promoting liberal ideas. Then you're, you know, you're out to lunch. Right. And, you know, and, and you're surprised and like shocked and, and your parents are mad that your kid went there. You know, and he's like, you're, you're not even, you're not living in this world. Right. And so, um, you know, if you're really worried that that's going to be taught, don't send your kid to a university, right? Or, or, or send them to a send them to something that you know is going to be much more conservative, right? There are like it's there are more conservative universities, right? That, that is true, right? I, I did read a, something that so BYU Brigham Young University, and I I heard that like some CRT 
stuff was being taught at those at that school as well. So it's like I I know it's going to be anywhere. That that's what I'm getting at. It's like right. universities. This is sort of entrenched stuff there, and like that's going to happen. But like and and yeah, but you're like you don't have to go there. You don't have to go. Yeah. Well, and to to just be clear about that, right? If I'm going to prepare my students, undergraduate students, I don't have graduate students. If I'm going to prepare my undergraduate students to know the current like zeitgeist in my discipline, right? Like, like what is going on in my discipline? I cannot do that without discussing intersectionality. Right. Intersectionality was introduced more than 30 years ago, and it is now a pervasive concept in my field. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's no way that I could prepare them for graduate school or even to go out into the corporate enterprise, right? Without having conversations about it. I would be failing as a faculty member if I didn't bring up intersectionality, at least at some point, right? Yeah. Do I necessarily have to cover all those other things? No, but critical theory is also a pretty kind of integral part of the things that we teach in my discipline. And my discipline is not even like at the cutting edge of this. The humanities are absolutely filled with this, right? You mm-hmm. can't take an English and writing class or a literature class without dealing with all of those topics. So do we really want to be in a position where the state government, because they find out that you know at Florida State University, there's one professor who happened to mention intersectionality, they're going to shut down the entire English and writing program. Right, right. The... Uh, do you agree with this? So I, I think we're on the same page and I think okay. it's, yeah. Uh, I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> I, I think this is, I mean, I think this has actually been tried, right? Like, like you're saying, it's done in Hungary. I think it's been done in the past. This sort of like, you will think this. And yes, that, I don't think that's fraught with problems. It's very 1984 ish. George, well, George Orwell. Oh, totally. Orwellian. Yes. What about, what about, I am protective of minors though in the younger school. And I thought when I, you were mm-hmm. talking about this, I thought you were saying, I didn't know it was exclusive to higher education. I thought I was saying, including. Yeah. All of this is education. exclusive. Now they've been doing a lot of stuff for primary and secondary schools too. Right. Yeah. Um, a lot of that, uh, like the don't say gay bill that passed last year that got Disney in trouble, right. With the, the uh, DeSantis yeah. administration was right. basically them saying they they like to couch this in parents' rights, right? So they're trying to say like, oh, parents have rights to restrict what their kids learn in school. Mm-hmm. And of course, all they really care about is what kids learn about when it comes to gender and sexuality. Right. So they don't, no parents are like, you can't teach my kids that two plus two equals four, right? That, that offends me, right? right. It's, you can't teach my kids that there are gay people in the world. That's what they're offended by. And so that actually passed, right? Up to third grade, there is now not allowed any discussion of the existence of LGBTQ individuals. You can't even mention that, right? Um, Third grade. Up to third grade, right? So, and keep in mind, right? Like I, my son, right? Went through school. It was quasi-public school, charter school, right? But he went through school. There was never an instructor in any of his classes who was like, Torin, I think you need to be gay, right? Like that doesn't come up. That's absurd to think that teachers are trying to push these ideas on kids. But I don't have a problem with a third grader reading a book, right? Or being read a book, maybe even in kindergarten, that's like, Sally has two moms, so offensive, right? 
How is that offensive? That's called reality, right? So, so just talking about the fact that there are kids who might have two moms or two dads, how, how is that problematic? Like, I, do, I just don't get that because if they were saying you all need to be gay, right? Or you're transgender, you need to transition your gender. Okay. That would be problematic. Like I would have a problem with that if they were trying to push people to become this. I've never seen any of that. I've never seen a documented case of that, right? Um, but if they're just recognizing reality that there are gay people, there are lesbian people, like, is that really a problem? You think that's all that would have happened? That's all that was happening. You don't, okay. You don't think yeah. there would have been instances of people encouraging? So, okay, let me put it this way. Right. If, if, if teachers, if you had heard of t- cases, instances of teachers encouraging homosexual behavior or trans behavior, you would have been against it or Uh, you would have. Right. The context might matter a lot. The context might matter a lot. Right. So if, if, I mean, it's third graders, right. There aren't many nine-year-olds who are fully fledged aware of their sexual identity. My 13-year-old isn't fully aware of his sexual identity at this point. Right. So, so that's pretty young to be like, I know I'm gay, right? Like, okay, but that's fine. So be it. Uh, but let's let's just wrestle with a potential context here, right? So we'll wrestle with this a little bit. If a nine-year-old, because that's how you'd be, how old you'd be in third grade, right? If a nine-year-old came to their teacher and was like, you know, I like spending more time. Let's say it's a boy, right? I like spending more time with boys than I do girls. How is a teacher going to respond to that, right? Like they're nine, okay. Is, is that advocating homosexuality? If they're just like, I like spending more time with boys than girls or vice right. versa, right? Like, so, so I'd, I'd need to know the context, right? If the teacher's like, that means you're gay, go have sex with that other little boy. I think all of us would be like, okay, you crossed a line. Like, right. you can't do that, right? But if a nine-year-old's like, I like spending time with boys, right? Like, yeah, okay. Well, there, there's, I mean, I think- <laughs> That's the that's the issue, right? Is like, sure, kids are always going to ask crazy questions, right? Right. Yeah. I'm I'm uh, I'm in my car full today, picking up some kids, and one of the kids uh, it grabs a they grab they had a, they had a broken leg, and they grab the top of the the crutch. Yeah. And it's that little foamy thing, right? It kind of looks like a penis. Sure. And they're okay. like. And they're like, oh, look, I got a penis. And then they like stick it in their mouth and they're like playing around with it. I'm like, I can't even look at you. I'm like, I can't even look at you. Cause I'm like, cause, cause they have no idea like right. how, how bad it looks. Right. And, or what it's, what, what, how suggest- it's very they suggestive because right. they're, they're just playing. They're like, they're playing. Kid. They're yeah, like they don't a, know. They're like a third or fourth grader and like, right. they have no idea. And that's the way, I guess that's what I'm saying is like, I want it that way. Uh, I want that. Like my, my 13 year old doesn't even know. Um, he, he hasn't really started thinking about girls or any of that stuff. Like right. this stuff Mine is either. not even on his radar. I don't want it on the radar. I don't want. So I guess we have seen. Uh, we so I mean, so kids are going to say stuff, but a lot of times they don't know the context of it or what mm-hmm. it is, right? Or or what that, or even that it, they don't even know it is sex. It is sexual, and like that's. I think we can all agree that that's not a. That's that's just going to happen. But like that's. Um, but that's not the case, right? We had instances of people advocating, right, to very little children and like introducing ideas that I don't even want to introduce. I like, like you're, you're, 
you're in fourth grade, right? You're eight. Why, why are we even thinking about this? Uh, okay. that's, but, but is that the exception or the rule? Right. So are we trying to, I I think it's the exception. Yeah. So we're trying to legislate on a handful of exceptional cases that it's like, oh, that one person, that one time in that one place, right. Right. Did one thing that one person found objectionable. Now everybody has to do this. Right. Right. That's not the way that we should design legislation, right? Legislation should not be for the exceptions. It should be for the rule, right? Jeez, if I don't know. Everybody. It, it, this is one where it's like, why do you need to talk about any of this at all? And I, But I don't the think only, they do. That's the point, right? I think, I think the vast majority of people don't talk about this. I mean, oh, uh, let's te- go back teachers, to Morgan right. High School. Totally. Yeah, let's go back yeah. to Mormon, Morgan High School. When did we have our health education class where they taught us about sex? Like do you remember? Seventh or eighth grade. Uh, it was Mr. Rock in ninth grade. Okay. Yeah. It was ninth grade when we finally had a sex education class. Now I think they did one that I think my parents like said, no, you're not going to do it in eighth grade. Yeah. Okay. So, and and that was Morgan high school in what the 1980s when we finally had a sex education class. Okay. Okay. Are you okay with your eighth grader and ninth grader learning about sex in school? Yeah. Yes. Okay. But, and, but but you want that, right? And what we're saying is these are third graders. No teachers are teaching them sex ed in third grade. The, the it's problem just not is happening. I think some are. There's an agenda. I think there are some with an agenda is what is is what they're that's five that's, of them, right? Like, totally. Probably. Like it's none of them, right? Like probably out of five. the millions of teachers, there are a handful. Yes. And now we're legislating on the basis of a couple of nutters. It's an extremely sensitive subject for parents, right? You're like, oh, you were teaching new math versus old math, right? I mean, there's like, you get upset about that, but then there's this and that's, I don't know. I, I, I'm I, almost, I'm just like, you don't need to mess with that at all. Like, there's no reason to mess with that. Um, and you have, okay. there Let, are, yeah. I mean, you can find tons of instances of teachers advocating or encouraging or just bringing it up, right? And you're just like, why are you bringing this up? And I, I, I yeah. think there's, an, I don't think there's any place for it. And so, so I'm fully on board for just shutting that down, especially like through third grade, third grade. Well, like, okay. But right now the legislature is actually talking about extending that to eighth grade. So now you can't talk about it through eighth grade, which I think is ad- utterly absurd. Right. But let me, <clears> let me give one example that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, Torin was in, I want to say first or second grade. Okay. Maybe it was younger than that. It might even have been kindergarten. Um, but he was having a conversation with some friends at his school, right? So this is kids talking. Mm-hmm. And uh, it came up that um, one of the other, one of the kids at his school, right, did have parents who were gay. Right. Right. And one of the other kids kind of raised this as an issue and was like, what do you mean? Both you have two dads, right? Like you can't have two dads. It's got to be a mom and a dad. And Torn was like, no, boys can love boys. Mm-hmm. The next day, that kid, so another, you know, it was a boy, that kid's mom came into the class after like the class was over. So it was just the teachers, right? And said, right. I need you to know what Torin said. Okay. Torin told my son that two boys can love each other. And she's like, I'm totally like, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like opposing this, mm-hmm. but I'm offended by it. 
right? And I'm like offended that it was allowed to be spoken about, or offended she she was offended by Torrin's position, or I don't know, right? uh, That Torrin said something, right? And I'm like, okay, hold on, right? Like, no teacher said this, right? Right. It was another kindergartner or first grader who just said like. Right. Boys can love boys. Right. Like yeah. that Some was the extent of the conversation. Yeah. yeah. And she was like, you can't allow this to happen. Right. And that's impossible. <laughs> Is that where we're going? That it's like, you can't, like, no one can ever suggest something that I disagree with to any of my kids. Right. Ever. Right. Come on. I- like snowflake. Th- that sounds like a snowflake to me. Right. That right. is total a snowflake position. Like that let's quote Jordan Peterson, right? Like I can't get somebody to think without offending them. I can't talk without offending people. Right. right. That was a what seven year old who just happened to say, Boys can like boys. Right. How dare yeah. you? Yeah. And then that kid. we yeah, kids are gonna I mean, here's the thing. All my my son, 13, he's getting um, he's gonna they're doing the maturation talk, right? So it's eighth grade. Yeah. And he's he's gonna he's gonna get the talk. He's getting his sex ed right now from all of his friends, right? That's just gonna happen. We all know that. That's just right. that's just life, right? But like that's but like when it's a position of authority, someone speaking in authority, I I do have an issue with that, right? I do. Like third grade is I think it's so ridiculously benign that that don't say gay bill. Like, of course you shouldn't be talking about it in third grade. And like uh, like I would even probably support it going up to fifth or sixth. Like that's, I think it should go. I, I would be fine with it going for, there's just no yeah. reason. Well, so, like, I, like when you get to <laughs> minors, minors are the one time it's okay to, okay to censor. It's okay to regulate. Like I, I like, you know, that's drugs and alcohol and all this stuff. We, everyone's okay with this, but then it's like, Whoa, we, we should let them, you know, do all this other stuff and explore these things. And, you know, it's like, I, uh, no, like the, it's okay to we can we can restrict First Amendment rights on censors on on minors like that. That's a scenario that it's okay to do that in my opinion. But it's like, mm. it, and we're not even saying we're saying third graders, right? It's like seven, yeah, eight, eight and nine year olds, right? Um, right. Okay, so we may we may actually disagree on this. We we may not have found common ground, and that's fine. Yeah. I think we found common ground on the actual issue, which is the higher education stuff. But um, right. The way that legislation was written, the don't say gay bill, mm-hmm. um, if a seventh uh, or seven or eight year old actually went to their teacher and said, what does gay mean? Teacher isn't allowed to respond. Right. Right. Is that what you want? Is, if it's in that conflict, yeah. Just be like, ask your parents. And you're like. Really? You-? Like you're, yeah, you're not yeah. even going to allow them to say like, oh, this means that like two people of the same sex like each other. That's it. Like, because it's not even advocacy. It's literally just like Google it, right? Totally, like, totally. You can totally find the answer. But the, we're but not going to let them say that. That's what the, that's what that legislation says. Here's the thing. If you're not advocating for it, if you're not one of these like five teachers that are trying to advocate for it, you don't care. Right. You're just like, right. yeah, just go at your parents. Um, but like, yeah, I I agree. There's probably like five people that are like, hey, hey I'm gonna get, I'm gonna turn them all gay. Um, <laughs> but like, there's I just get like, there's no reason to like, just like, because it is so touchy. That is so touchy, right? Because even even if they were like, here, let me show you in the dictionary, or let me show let me show you, get you a book that you could read more about. Like, it's just 
they're so subjective on like, oh, I took this book home and oh, it's it's got all these other ideas in there, right? And it just can open the door. And I'm like, that's just a bad idea. I mean, it's a bad idea. I mean, it'd be stupid for the teacher. It's stupid for the teacher to be like, even like walking to, down that road. To teach? To, to get into <laughs> sexual uh, orientation yeah, I mean, in third they grade? Are just, yes. They're just teaching, right? Like that's, oh, sure. that's their job, sure. right? Yeah. And I, I, I think that's, this is a really interesting point of like, we just, we're, we're not going to agree on it and that's okay. Right. That's part of the fun of the podcast. We're, we're not going to agree, but it, it, what it almost sounds like you're saying, Tom, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here mm-hmm. is that there's no objective way to talk about sexuality. Right. It, it's very difficult to, right. Very difficult. And and it's so open that if somebody not only can the teacher who wanted who didn't care he could get in a lot of trouble, but the per the, then there's the old other person who wants to add you know the bad guy in the the bad teacher who really wants to sexualize children. That's it's subjective that they could introduce ideas within the constraints, right? And I'm just like, just there's there's no reason to to open that door at all. It's, so. At what age do you open the door? Like I said, I'd be fine with going even higher with that. I'd fifth, sixth grade. And then, and then it's like, then, you know, there's a certain maturity that you can start talking about it. And, the, and there's a reality, right? It's like by then they, they, they're seeing gay parents. They're seeing this kind of stuff. They're like, okay, this is the world. Then let's talk about it. Right. But it's, it's even then it's, it's, it's tough because you've got people, you have teachers that advocate things and, and, that I don't necessarily agree with, but like at, at that point, it's, you got to be a parent and they're going to learn, they're going to learn lots of stuff, right? They're going to learn vaping about vaping and smoking and all this stuff. Right. And it's like the, that's the world. And I've got to, I've got to teach them to navigate it. And if I don't want them to, to get ideas that I think are harmful, then that's my, that's my job as a parent. Right. It's uh, at some point, right. Sixth, seventh grade. Right. I think would be totally fine. Can't, can't you do that with a third grader too? Yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. You totally can. So, but like, I do, do, do I need to counter? Do I need to have a family home evening lesson on sexuality to my third grader because to counter my teacher to make sure I'm like, there's, this is what I keep saying. There's no reason to like, they don't even know what sex is. Right. Or like, or a lot of sexual, like they, they're still like learning boys and girls, boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. Right. That's the level they're at. And it's like, that's, uh, we don't like, there's no reason to go over there. Hmm. In, in my opinion. Interesting. Well, we, we found common ground on the higher education issue. Yes, it seems yes. like on this issue, we have not found common ground. Um, yeah. I, I don't know that we're radically far apart, right? No. I, I don't think I would be in favor of somebody, you know, strongly, encouraging somebody to be like, you must be transgender. You must be gay. Like, no, I, and I don't know how many people would actually do that. I think it'd be a teeny, 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 tiny sliver. I don't think I would have a problem if a student, you know, a a seven-year-old came up to a teacher and was like, what is sex? Right. The teacher's like, I will go to jail if I answer that question. (laughs) Right. Right. Like, I think we've crossed a line that that's pretty absurd that a teacher can't be like, oh, well, here's what sex is. Right. I, I think that I hold down my pants and I'm going to show you what sex is. All right. Okay. I think we would agree that's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, anything we want to add? Uh, let's see. 
No, uh, I was going to make, I was going to push you on the, the bailouts thing. Cause I think to me, there's a bigger picture of centralized power that I, mm-hmm. that I'm making a case against centralized power. Cause I think what the case I'm extending to the fed, the fed, uh, the fed is I'm also extending to the federal government is yeah. the same, same idea. And, um, and like, but we can, we can, we can push that another day, but like, because uh, because I feel like mm-hmm. um, I feel like we're kind of in agreement on that, but like, but there's a lot of nuance with the federal government, and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to crack into that sometime and and go. Okay. Uh, and, yeah, because I mean, take. we we might agree at some level, but we might also disagree. Because my understanding of the the origins of the Fed is that we needed a unified dollar because so many banks had their own currency, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, useful for people to realize, right? If we go back even 150 years, any bank could create their own currency. And then of course, if they did, it could be garbage within a couple of weeks, right? So the origins of the Fed is creating a universal currency. And then of course, it got more and more power. So I think that might be, we'd probably agree on the universal currency. Where we might disagree is on the power that the Fed has, mm-hmm. and I might just be out of my league on on knowing how much power the Fed actually has. But we can come back to that. I think that's an interesting topic. So, yeah, that's why okay. that's why Bitcoin is such a fascinating thing, right? Decentralized, non non governed uh, currency, right? It's it's such a a, a disruptor of finance, right? It's, that's why it gets so much attention. It's just it's a, yeah completely new and unique idea that people think will be the next big thing who's to say we don't know tom might be encouraging people to buy bitcoin because he's fully invested in bitcoin right now (laughs) it's it still hasn't hit the bottom so no you think it's gonna go lower Mm -hmm. yeah oh wow i 100 believe it'll go lower and then it'll be a good investment yeah and then it'll come back at some point Mm mm-hmm I think so. Okay. Let me know, Tom, when it's I'll time tell to buy you. Bitcoin. I'll tell you. Like, <laughs> buy, buy, buy Bitcoin right now. Okay. Because uh, I will be interested. Um, I do currently have Bitcoin, but it, I have it for nefarious purposes. <laughs> nice. Uh, which we don't have to go into on this podcast. I will oh, not. Oh, no. You myself. told me. You told me about this. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyway. <laughs> All right. We'll wrap it up there. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you have comments or thoughts, certainly post them. Would love to hear them. Uh, Tom, look, we don't always agree when it comes to politics, um, but if there's one thing that we do agree on, it's that there's only one way to clean up after going to the bathroom, and that's with a Lux bidet. Listen, I've been using bidets forever, all right? And Lux is the best, all right? So, I mean, I've got like the little squatty potty thing and the bidet. It's like a whole experience. It's it's Actually, it's probably one of the highlights of the entire day. But like it gets me clean and it gets me ready to uh, talk politics in a civilized manner. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. Um, Every time that I use a toilet, it doesn't have a bidet. When I go to a friend's house, you know, I just don't use their toilet, first of all. But uh, that's about as uncivilized as it gets. So uh, civil conversations demand civil hygiene practices. That's why everyone should get a bidet. And. Just to be clear, right? We we want to make make it clear. Listeners can get their own Lux bidet with ten percent off by ordering at luxbidet.com and using our promo code FCBG ten. Finding Common Battlegrounds ten. Uh, and the last thing that we want to say, uh, Lux is supporting this podcast. 
but they don't side one. They don't support one side or the other. They support civil conversations and clean butts. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Finding Common Battlegrounds. The music is by Ben Sound. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not those of their employers. For more information or more episodes, you can find us at FindingCommonBattlegrounds.com. The other day, you were we were talking about... Um... You're talking about the left or the right has this soul. It's fighting for it's their soul. You know, like they're having this big fight. I, the the left is as well. Mm-hmm. And it's this woke versus non-woke. And if you, because if you watch Bill Meyer, he's constantly bashing the woke, right? Right. Like, like the vast majority of his content nowadays is like, he is this central um liberal like or more centrist liberal moderate liberal right mm-hmm. and he's fighting the extreme liberal it's so i think there's that same battle is going on it's like the soul of of the democratic party or the or or just liberals in general it's going on with and as well as republicans um and i think we're both in the middle camps and so like here's the thing bill yeah. myers content is constantly used by the right to make fun of the well, radical left. left, right, yeah. and and even though he's a liberal, right, and he'll right. constantly say that, and it probably bugs the crap out of him that it gets used, and that's um that so and that's what I'm saying is like it's almost like this middle ground has a lot in common. They uh-huh. they're actually starting to have more in common with these extremes, uh, when when contrasted against these extremes, and so like I think both of you, you and I are in this middle area, yeah, and so I think so. Because we're not, you know, I don't think you're woke and I, and I'm not a Trump, uh, you know, a MAGA guy. And right. so, so all of our stuff is like, yeah, we generally agree <laughs> on this. But like the problem is, is these are not the, we are not the, you know, DeSantis is not, he's anti-woke and he's gone, mm-hmm. he's, he's the, um, he's raising the banner and, and that's, and those are the guys, that's what I keep saying. It's those are the guys that'll get elected. It's uh, yeah, they get the base all kind of yeah, yeah, riled they, up, right? And right. then the base comes out and supports them, and mm-hmm. it works. It's yes. problematic. Uh, yeah, so the person who just ran against him uh, was the former governor of the state, Charlie Chris, yeah, who was yeah, governor Christ. as a Republican mm-hmm. and then switched right after he left office and is now a democrat but he's absolutely a centrist right like there's no question he's right in the middle on these issues right so he actually beat the further left candidate Mm. in the primary and then went up against desantis and got clobbered in the actual election uh because right his his base didn't come out right exactly he tried to pull the center but desantis had pulled enough of his base and enough of the center that just didn't work he got he got utterly destroyed. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's my, that's what I've observed as well is this, that the, the central group guys, they're actually make a lot of sense. And they have like, you're like, Oh, you're common sense. Did you, did you like him? The Chris? Chris? Um, I mean, I voted for him, but you did uh, more, more as an anti DeSantis vote. Well, and the tricky part is like, 
I haven't disagreed with everything DeSantis did, right? So his policies on the pandemic, I mean, we've talked about this before. I don't think he did it for the right reason, but I agreed with what he was doing, right? Right. Um, So it's not like I'm 100% against DeSantis, but right now he's literally just out goading liberals, right? He's like, I'm anti-woke here. He said, right, Florida is where woke goes to die, right? Which is a fun pun because it's where old people go to die too. But, um, But Chris basically had no real platform other than I'm not DeSantis. I'm not, you know, on the far extremes, right? I'm a centrist candidate. And that just didn't win people over. Yeah, it's not loud enough, right? So I voted for him because I do agree more with him than I do with Chris. But like, he was not an exciting candidate. He didn't grab a bunch of people. He wasn't particularly enthusiastic. He wasn't charismatic. Um yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? I didn't vote for him in the primary. I actually liked his uh, opponent better because she had actual policy positions. Right. Chris was literally just like, I will not upset people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> in, in today's day and age, you that doesn't win. That it doesn't, doesn't win. No. And that's, yeah, that's why our politics are so extreme. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's interesting. Yeah, 